Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Scuba. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving Podcast. Right, we are on to part three of a three-part series recorded at IMS in Ibiza the week before last. We were lucky enough to be invited to the conference by Ben Turner and the team to record three episodes. And yeah, the previous two episodes of the podcast were those previous two conversations. So we had DJ Pippi first up who is a real Ibiza legend, a legendary DJ, properly legendary DJ of the scene in Ibiza, the first DJ ever to play house music on the island, allegedly. I think we're going to take that at face value for the purposes of this. But yeah, certainly someone with real claims to have been extremely influential over the years and particularly in that kind of formative period of the island acquiring the reputation that it has now. The second one was Leslie Tapman, who is the head of music at the Night League. So she books all the lineups at Ashwire and High and various other venues, including one in Bali. And that was the first interview that she's basically ever given. I mean, there's one existing other one online, which was from like 10 years ago, which doesn't really cover half the stuff that we talked about. So that was an awesome conversation. It could have sat on the main podcast feed without any caveats about it being recorded live or anything like that or in front of an audience. And that is something to mention here too. Yeah, we were live. It was outdoors and we were in front of an audience. And that also applies to this week's episode with Johannes Guller, who is most famous for basically running Cocoon in Ibiza for 20 years. So yeah, the 20th year was their closing year, which is conveniently timed just before the pandemic. And yeah, Cocoon was just an awesome, awesome party. I was lucky enough to play there a few times and it really opened my eyes to how good a party at that kind of mega club can be. I mean, Amnesia is, in my opinion, 
the best club on the island and maybe the best big club in the world, actually. You can get about 7,000 people in there or something. And it really still feels like a club, despite that enormous scale and despite basically being almost the size of an arena. It's still got that kind of intimate vibe and it still feels like a nightclub, basically, which is like a pretty difficult trick to pull off, actually. And Cocoon was just a great night in that venue, basically. And it's kind of a shame that it's not there anymore, really. But like all parties, everything has to come to an end, right? So if there's a great party that you want to go to, if it's a great night, you've got to go to it, right? Because it won't be there forever. It definitely will not be there forever. And even if it is there, you know, the vibes are not permanent, you know? So, yeah, I was lucky enough to be able to play Cocoon. It was absolutely awesome. And Johannes did an incredible job of promoting it, an incredible job of hosting the night each time. It really was a pretty impressive undertaking. And he's now doing a new night that he's launched called Trip at Club Chinois. Haven't been there yet. I'm sure it's pretty vibey. Looking forward to getting down there some point this summer. And he also has a food project called Cuts and Wines, which you hear about too. So yeah, this is a really fun one. He's a great guy and has some great stories. So yeah, I think you're going to enjoy this. Okay, so before we get started, just a reminder that we are on Patreon. If you're liking what we're doing on the show, the best way to support us. Now, I always do a bad job of saying exactly what we do on Patreon, so I'm just going to take this opportunity to do so now in a little bit more detail. Normally, I just totally gloss over it, which is it's just dumb, isn't it, really? So there's two levels. First is the solidarity tier, which is $4 a month, $4 US dollars. So I don't know what's that, just over three quid or something. And for that, you get your contribution, the knowledge that you're contributing to this amazing podcast. But you also do get bonus podcasts. So on the site, it says you get at least one Patreon-only podcast per month, but actually it's always more than that. Usually there's one every week, some kind of thing anyway that goes up every week, whether it's a solo pod of me nattering on or maybe a recording of one of my sets or, you know, something like that. Anyway, so that's $4 a month, but then for $10, so what's that, eight fifty or something, there is the musicality tier, which gets you all the music we release on Hot Flush Recordings and affiliate labels ahead of time, upfront in high quality download format so that's basically getting you on the promo list and we also give you other bonus stuff as well so older releases in high quality some exclusive stuff which never goes up anywhere else and basically just it's just all the music basically for 10 bucks a month and also the other stuff as well so just an extra six bucks a month which is you know not much i think those are both pretty good value and if, like I said, if you're enjoying what we're doing here, then that is the best way to support us. I mean, there are costs. It does cost money to uh, keep this show on the road. So, yeah, if you find it in the kindness of your heart, then that's the place to go. Patreon.com slash official. If you don't want to do that, that's cool. Leave us a review or a rating wherever you listen to this podcast. There's a Spotify playlist that you can follow too. It's linked to that in the show notes. And there's a Discord server that you can join to talk about the show too. Hotflushrecordings.com slash Discord is the invite to join that Discord server. Okay, I've been banging on for ages. So, live from IMS, here is Johannes Goller. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the third day of IMS. I hope you're feeling better than I am. I think I'm a little bit fragile for the last couple of days. So this is the third and final recording that we're doing of the Not A Diving podcast. We had some interesting conversations over the last few days with Leslie Tapman and DJ Pippi. And um, today we welcome a legendary Ibiza promoter, Johannes Goller. Thank you very much. <laughs> 
thank you very much. So people know you, I think, primarily for Cocoon, and that's how we met, of course, a few years ago. But I wanted to kick off by talking about what you've been doing since the pandemic, because Cocoon didn't come back after the pandemic. And you've been, uh, you've launched a couple of new things, actually. So perhaps you can begin by giving us an idea about what you're doing on the island right now. Yeah, um, I have to go back to 2019, where we celebrated um, 20 years of Cocoon in Ibiza. And this was our last season. And uh, we also communicated that. And then there were some some loose ideas on the table for 2020. And then, yeah, everything changed. And... Um, and um, we all had to face a situation that no one was expecting or being prepared for. And um, already during my, my, my time with Cocoon, I started um, a little side project um, with um, the winery that was um, founded by Dieter Meyer from Yellow here on the island in 2012 and they contacted me asking if I could imagine to help them distributing their wines because um, they've heard about my passion for wine and they thought that with the connections that I have on the island I might be the person. So already in 2018 and 19, I had this small wine distribution and I did this as a, as a side project because I was focusing on Cocoon. And then the pandemic came, 2020, and um, the clubs couldn't open. But I had already the wines established. So kind of like this, this kept me a bit over water and busy. And <clears throat> there was um, this, a situation that uh, Ricardo Villalobos contacted me and said like, hey, um, there is a restaurant in Ibiza and I know the family and I would like to support them and um, but uh, could you do imagine doing the barbecue because it's not it's, it's not a club it's a restaurant the people can't dance right. and um, and I said yeah but I want you to do the barbecue because I really like your barbecues more than theirs and uh, if, if you do the barbecue then, then I will play and then I'm going to say, let me jump in there. So what's your barbecuing experience that <laughs> preceded this judgment? Okay, um, then we have to go back a long, long, long time. Before I started working for Cocoon, um, I made uh, my master in butchering. And this comes from uh, my family because we we are a, let's say a butcher family four generations so you're a master butcher i'm a master butcher before before i started with cocoon I that's had a good thing to have on your cv by the way yes 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 it just made a u-turn and went completely <laughs> in the other direction but uh, yes i'm a master butcher so i'm let's say I'm, I'm i'm i know about meat i know i'm not a i'm not a chef but i know how to find good meat and how to barbecue it to perfection, yes. So Ricardo said, like, hey, please, if, if you do the barbecue, then I'm going to play for them. And then I contacted the restaurant and I said, listen, uh, Ricardo told me and they were looking at me like, what, why? And I said, yeah, this is, I'm just here to 
to present myself and um, they said, yeah, what, what do you want to do? And I said, yeah, I do the barbecue and I can also bring the wines because I have exclusive wines from Argentina and Ibiza. And they said like, yeah, cool. Let's do it next Saturday. And uh, it was such a big success that then the restaurant came to me asking if I could imagine to do this every Saturday. And this was how Cuts and Wines, this is the name of the project, was born. And um, due to the success, I then out of a sudden got plenty of phone calls from all the DJs who were on the island, but they couldn't play anywhere. And out of a sudden, I had uh, yeah, everyone calling me. He said, hey, listen, we want to play at your restaurant pop-up. It's so cool. And we said, yeah. And then Sasha was playing, Ida and uh, Sonia, Sonia Munia, Diet, Dan. And um, yeah, then out of a sudden, I had a project. Okay. So we're in 2020 still at this point. This is 2020, yeah. And I did this also in 2021 because also in 2021 the clubs couldn't open. And um, I moved on with a pop-up to Cala Moli because they're friends of mine. They, they opened a new beach restaurant there called El Silencio. And I did the same thing there. And uh, again, it was, it was super fun. I had great feedback, I had like a loyal community some came every week and it was the only occasion where you could have a nice meal and listen to some of the best DJs you know on the island and yeah so for the benefit of podcast listeners back home who are perhaps not quite so up on what Ibiza is like as, a, as, you know, as someone who lives here like what what was the atmosphere on the island like during that during that period I mean obviously it was it was messed up everywhere but I mean on an island perhaps it's a slightly different dynamic so so what was it what was the atmosphere like here when you were doing this yeah it was it was very sad to see on one side that that uh, there were so many people who were who were related to the clubbing scene on the island were out of a sudden without a job and and without income and um the, it, it's a whole industry as we all know on the island and you have to imagine that all the people working in the club from the waiters to the accountants to the to the to the to the bouncers to to everyone there was no income and um not everyone could could find a job, you know, to to guarantee an income to to support the living on this island because it's still a very expensive place. So it was sad to see that many many friends and and and, and people that I knew for many years that they had to leave the island. Um, on the other side, it was also nice to see that the island is functioning without the clubs. And, um, of course, when one business is suffering, there's always another one um, benefiting from it. And those were, uh, let's say, the beach restaurants and, and, in general, the restaurants, because all the money that was spent in the VIPs of the club, in the clubs, were then spent in the restaurants. You know, the people, they're starting ordering a, a Dom Perignon Magnum already for lunch. And for the restaurants, I think for most of them, those were the best years. Um, and yeah, so I was happy that I had some wines <laughs> that I could deliver. And the people were very thirsty. 
I was I was reading today actually about the the problems that in particular DC10 had on reopening and how there were residents uh, associations that became I guess a little bit more hard line on stuff like noise restrictions as maybe as a result of become having had two years of without this stuff. Like, is that something that you, you noticed too? Is that something that maybe a part of what you just described? Yes. Um, especially the, the local community here, they were not so unhappy about this situation. There, there were a lot of people who said like, ah, you know, there is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a different vibe on the island. And there were articles in the newspapers where, where the people in the town halls were really discussing like, yeah, do we need this clubbing culture? Isn't it better like this? Isn't it a bit more, let's say, clean or I don't know the words that they were using. So there was, there was, a, there was a, a discussion about that. But um, <laughs> I think the moment the clubs opened again or were able to open again, this, this, this topic got forgotten and uh, everybody's happy the way how it is. <laughs> okay. And this, this season you've launched a new night? Yes. So tell me about that. I'm launching a new night. That's correct. Um, I started already last year in um, October where I did three parties at the Club Chinois, which was before known as the Club Heart. And um, they asked me to help them to create the, the remaining Saturdays of the season. And then, um, yeah, we came up with a, with a name Trip, and that's the name of the party. And in, um, yeah, last winter there were like conversations with the club to do the Saturdays in pre-season, let's say April and May, and um, I was really happy to take them on. And yeah, then I started with the lineup, and I got great feedback from the agents and good response. And the club then came and said, "Like, hey, could you imagine to do your party all summer long, all season long?" And I was like, ah, "It's now April first. It's a little bit late, but uh, because to create a Saturday." In in July, August, and September is you know is the busiest day. It's a challenge. It's a challenge. But I took it on, and I'm really happy that I took it on. And with the support of the club, we managed to to create a nice lineup for the summer. And I'm really happy for the support that we got from the agencies and the the sure. artists, of course. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, let me ask you, like, what's your motivation? Having having been involved with Cocoon for for 20 years. Like it must be, I mean, starting something from, building something from the ground up, starting something from zero, that's a, that's a different thing entirely. So th tell me how like, that, that was in your mind when you were making that decision to start something new. I mean, I was quite happy where I was with my Cuts and Wines concept and with, um, with uh, the wine distribution. And it was Luciano who then called me and said, hey, what are you doing? What's the plan for the summer? This was... 2022 and um, I said like hey I'm, I have my, my, my own business now and I'm really happy with where I am I said like, yeah I have an offer to do a residency and uh, if you would help me to, to produce it then um, I would take it on and um, yeah we had a couple of meetings and his residency last year was already at uh, Club Chinois and we had a 
great season there and it was a big success for Luciano as well for the club and also for me because I felt that um, it's really something that I, I have in me you know, to, to promote and to, to produce a night on the island. So, um, yeah. So did, you, did you feel that was lacking in hindsight? I mean, you said you mentioned that you were happy with doing yeah, the cousin ones, but yeah. Sometimes it is, you know, you only realize that you miss something when it's not there anymore. <laughs> there was, but there was a time where I was like, okay, enough of the night. I, I want to wanna live the day life now, and, um, but I'm back in the nightlife and um, I'm happy about it. Okay, so is it any different starting something from the ground, building something from the ground up versus kind of maintaining a brand like Cocoon, which is, you know, obviously you have a, a, something to build on every every summer, but starting from zero, how has that been? Um, yes, I mean, we also built Cocoon from the scratch. But a very different era, right? It was a different era. We started in, in 99 with, with four test parties before we decided um, to do the first season in then 2000 and we were really building it up from a from a German techno party into what Cocoon became. Yeah, I mean, I've got a whole list of questions about this, but yeah, I can carry on. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Yes, and then of course we. It was then to keep it running and to is is a different, is a different day to day business than building something again from zero. And um, without the support from the club, I maybe wouldn't have done it. But uh, I experienced the team of the club in last year while I was producing Luciano's Night. So I knew that there will be a lot of support and that I don't need to bring in a team of 20 people to make the party the way how um, I want it to be. They understood the way I'm working, they understood the concept and they were very, very supportive. And um, yeah, we have now three parties already in the pocket. We started on April 8th very early right I was yeah I was going to mention that this is a long season now it's it's going to be a very long season yeah we started as I said on April 8 and the close just, just for context do you remember what day what day of the year the first cocoon was yes in the in the early years we opened around the 15th of June it was always mid June and over the years, the season got extended. And um, in the in the last five years, we started on the last weekend in May. Yeah. Okay, so tell me about the music policy that you're bringing to this new event. Because, I mean, again, music is something that I want to talk about more generally because, I mean, obviously, you know, music changes over time. There's been big, big changes within techno and, and the kind of house that you guys are interested in. But I think what you're doing with the music policy of the night isn't too super typical of what's happening on the island at the moment. Is that fair to say? Yes, yes, yes. Of course, I'm not um, inventing a new, a new genre <laughs> to 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 present it on. No, but it's in a, a musical approach, right? Yes, it is. It is a musical approach, and um, of course, I have my background and uh, where I'm, what I did for the last. 20 years with Cocoon, I'm not, I'm not going to change this too much. But I also understood that the club, how, it is, how the club is set and what the, the character of the club and the location of the club, I can't go too deep into the underground. 
and um, I actually let, let me ask you about that because I mean it is uh, it's a different venue to Amnesia like very different yes. different in, in, in size but also different I think in the kind of uh, the kind of crowd that it might naturally attract is that is that fair yes 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 it's yeah, it, it it comes with the location, it comes with the size, and uh, it's 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 a complete different story than than let's say cocoon at amnesia. You can't you can't compare that, and that's why it's impossible to just copy paste and say like, okay, what what worked there, we gonna I gonna try to bring to to club chinois. No. Okay, so how, I mean, so what is the uh, what is the approach, and how do you see it developing, perhaps over time? Um, Let's say one of my resident DJs will be Dan Genasia. He will he will play once a month, and um, I also have two shows confirmed with Apollonia. So I have the support of the of the French scene, let's say with um, Diet and Chonky and Trauma. So it's 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 a bit more in the in 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 the house direction rather than techno. And because I think this is the perfect sound for the venue and for the Saturday night. And um, I'm quite confident that this is the right recipe and the right music concept for the venue. Okay, so it's interesting. Yeah, you mentioned the French contingent. And a, a general question that I had actually was, like, to what extent as a promoter on the island do you have to sort of geographically target your like a, a appeal to audiences, I suppose, to, to appeal to different audiences. Because I mean, when I, as, a, as someone who you know, I played at Cocoon and went there as a as a party goer a number of times, I mean, it was very clear there was a big Italian contingent, and obviously you guys are German, so there's lots of German people. But was that a conscious thing that you have to do in promoting here? Um, no, I mean, when we started with Cocoon as a German promoter, there were eighty percent Germans. Right, okay. <laughs> that, that was a question I had too, right? Yeah. So you did okay. So you did you. Um, was that something that happened naturally? Okay. Um, yes, because back in the days, there was not a single techno night on the island. It was all very commercial. It was all very British. And and Sven took the chance and the risk to, to, to present the first techno night on the island. And Richie Horton and was resident from, from year one together with Ricardo Villalobos. And uh, we had Carl Cox, Jeff Mills, DJ Rush, I remember. So it was full-on techno. Chris Liebing was also on board since uh, year one. And then it slowly, slowly progressed because the, the, Spani the Spanish people, they, because they love techno. But in Ibiza, there was no techno night. And then in 2001 and two, we already realized that wow, the Spanish are coming, you know, the people that we know from Valencia, Barcelona, Madrid, because this, this, this techno was happening there, but not in Ibiza. And out of a sudden, the Spanish came. And then in 2002, 2003, this was then the moment where, where it all kind of like switched and it became much more international. And then Ricardo owned the terrace, you know, he released his Alcachofa album and out of a sudden we had, we had uh, hundreds of, 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 of no, hundreds not, but close to 100 DJs every Monday on the dance floor, on the terrace, uh, trying to figure out what he's doing there because it was so, so new and so outstanding. And, and this was then the, 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 the let's say, the, the point where it yeah, exploded. Okay, so I wanted to go back to the very start of Cocoon. And I actually wanted to ask you about how you found yourself 
promoting a night here. Like, where are you from originally? Where did you grow up in Germany? I'm coming from a small village called Heringen. It's 100 kilo, 180 kilometers north of uh, Frankfurt. There's, there was no club nearby, <laughs> but we were we were driving every weekend down to Frankfurt to the club Omen. This was the club that Sven owned um, in the 90s. And uh, yeah, so well, hang on a sec though. At what point did you get into music? Like, at what point did it, you know, did that become a part of your life as a as a kid? And was electronic music something that got that came to you naturally? Now, I'm, I'm born '75. I'm <clears throat> I grew up on the on the on the German border between West and East Germany. And when the wall came down in 1989, this was also the moment of the first love parade. So with the, the, the fall of the wall, techno became the soundtrack of the time. And, um, right, so as a 14-year-old or so, that was a perfect entry point for you, I guess. Yes, 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 yes. Out of a sudden, techno was like everywhere in Germany. It was like a, was like a movement. And um, yeah, via the radio and via older friends who already had a car and, and were driving to Berlin and Frankfurt, you know, I was, I was the one like, yeah, I want to go with them. <laughs> What's going on there? Yeah. And um, so, what was the first like rave you went to, like of that you know first club of that sort? There was a club in in the in the city called Kassel. It was called Stammheim. It was very very famous in the nineties. So there was the Omen in Frankfurt and Stammheim in in Kassel, and they already they invited like all the top acts from the US. They had the best DJs from Europe and and those two clubs they were really defining the the club music scene in, in Germany at that time. And uh, I was maybe sixteen where where I sneaked in. <laughs> That's a good age. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Dangerous. <laughs> okay, so you find yourself going to Omen. Yes. But to Omen it was a bit later because Frankfurt was 50 kilometers m more far away and around the Omen there was like this mysteria that is super difficult to get in and it's Frankfurt and there are bouncers with baseball bats at the door and and we were like too scared to go to the big city. So Was that actually true or was that just a rumor? Uh, it's... Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's true. <laughs> was true okay. yes okay so go on and um, yeah and then um, it was 1988 where my parents brought me to Ibiza for the first time and I was 13 and we stayed opposite uh, the club space which in 88 the name wasn't space it was the year where the club opened under a different name but I don't remember but I was 13 years old and I saw the people walking in in the morning and I was like wow uh, I, I, I want to go in as well I want to see what's going on there you know they all look like they're having a lot of fun why do I have to go to breakfast I would much more prefer to see what's going on behind those walls and then um, yeah the following year my parents asked me so oh, where you want to go summer holidays and I said I want to go to Ibiza again and I came back ever since, since 1988. And um, in one summer, one summer we were here 
And Sven was playing at uh, Space on Tuesday morning. What, what year are we in here? 95, 96. And um, yeah, we partied at Space and then we had a little after party and this is where, where I met the circle of Sven and Sven's okay, so management. You're, so, so you're 20 years old at this point and very much in the scene at that point, would you no, say? No, no. Not in the scene as part of the scene but as a consumer you know we were we were going out every weekend and we were coming to Ibiza to a party and of course when Sven was playing we were there but uh, we didn't plan the holiday according to who's playing that time in Ibiza because it was not communicated like it is today but there I met um, Sven's management and in person Talita Wegener and we became very very close friends and um, and then two years later she asked me and said like hey we are planning to do a residency in Ibiza and you know the island and it was always your dream to spend the summer there could you imagine to to come and work for us there and I would say oh, I have to talk with my parents because <laughs> it's not so easy big step but um, what, what, what were you doing at the time? What was I, was, I was working as a... Bo- I made my master diploma. I was ready to take over the family business. Wow, okay. And this was the plan uh, from my parents. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but I, I um, convinced them or not. I, I took the decision that I, I was 23 years old. And, 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 and I said, listen, I don't want to spend the rest of my life on the German countryside and... <laughs> being a butcher no and they understood that and so I packed my car and I, I drove to Ibiza and uh, uh, I started working for Cocoon and there was no position for me I was just said okay pick up the DJs at the airport do the laundry of Sven and uh, do the shopping here put the posters where needed and bring some flyers there and this was what I was doing all summer okay so Putting it in some context then, like for them to bring a night here and start a night. So as you mentioned before, it was basically the first techno night, explicit techno night anyway. Was it the first sort of German night, German associated night? Was it was that? As far as I remember, yes. There was at the same time the people from the Nature One Festival they tried to to set up something at Privilege and um, there was another German promoter at Space back in the days, it was called Flashback so, and also then at the same time DJ Tala 2XLC he brought his techno club to space I think so there were quite some German promoters but they were all more house or trance not techno right because trance is the the big sound at the uh, the point that we're talking about right this is like peak uh, <laughs> judge jewels and all the rest of it right yes exactly it was uh, God's Kitchen and uh, judge jewels and so did you have a sense that it was a risk that they were taking? It, it was a huge risk. It was did, you, did, you, did you have a sense of that at the time? N- no, not so much. It was just like, you know, back in particular in 99 and 2000, Manu Mission was the biggest party on the island and they had more than 10,000 people every Monday Monday, at uh, Privilege and uh, Sven said no, no I do the Mondays at Amnesia and it was like yeah, are you crazy they said this is, this is, no one will come they are all at Manu Mission and he said yeah exactly 
this is the Menno Mission crowd, and I wanna I wanna build my own crowd. I wanna do something different, and I'm 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 I don't wanna take from anyone. I just wanna build my own my own night here, and it will maybe take a bit of time, but. I believe I, I can do it with the support of a team, with the support of Amnesia and um, the support of the DJs, of course. So he was very much taking a long view from the start? Yes, yes. And do, you, I mean, do you have a sense of like, how many years he anticipated it to, to, to take to establish? I mean, I mean, Sven is coming to Ibiza since the 80s yeah. and... Um, he once said to me, and said, like, hey, I had to do my own night because if I don't do my own night, I won't get invited anymore because my music is too different. You know, I, I don't see myself playing Cream or God's Kitchen or Manu Mission because it's, it's, my sound doesn't fit. And if I don't do my own party, then maybe I, 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 I won't get, find my place here anymore. Do you remember what else was on Amnesia? that year in the same year La Troya Assassina moved from Privilege to Amnesia Cream was already there since 99 and there was a party called um, oh, it's a long time ago oh, there, were, there were so many knights who came up Made in Italy was there um, Decadence was a, a very known night back then as well. Zenit from, from the Italians who then later did uh, Musicon. They had also a night there in the beginning. But um, they didn't last long. It was always like one, two, three years and then somebody else came in. Okay, so so you launch with a pretty robust techno sound, right? I mean, the, the artist you mentioned before has a pretty uncompromising approach to the music and how did that first season go yeah the first season yeah, as I said there were maybe 1200 people in Amnesia and a thousand Germans which for the context of people who aren't aware is not a full Amnesia this is not a full Amnesia no no we, we, we of course we made a calculation and we thought like ah, uh, a thousand people come and we're gonna sell 900 tickets and 100 we invite and the reality was completely the opposite <laughs> 100 tickets and 900 <laughs> came in for free and um, yeah when you are depending on the door deal then um, it's, it doesn't didn't make much sense financially difficult right difficult yeah, yeah. no so but it's a bit better but in your in your position were you just happy to be there or how much were you involved in those kind of discussions and that kind of reality super happy to be involved there because this was the music i liked and those were the people i was i had the most fun with and um and it was just a huge it was just a huge playground just I mean, even though with only like 12 1400 people the club was still open until 10 a.m. in the morning and then there were like 300 people left on the dance floor and Sven played Knights of the Jaguar and we were the <laughs> happiest people on the planet this <laughs> is and, and then we, we were all like on fire and then the after party started and okay I've got questions about after parties but we'll leave those for a second um, so your role then as you mentioned is kind of you are doing everything right just just yeah. helping out yes so 
I mean, we, we talked a bit about you know, the differences between launching a night now and launching a night then. So, I mean, h- how involved were you in like the promotion side of it? And how aware were you in, in all that stuff? After the first season in, uh, in October, back in Frankfurt, we had a meeting with the whole team and the person who was in charge, Michi, he decided to leave because he wanted to do something else. And then Sven looked around and looked at me and said, like, okay, then, <laughs> then you're going you're gonna to run the night. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I don't speak Spanish and, and I have no experience and this is a little bit too big for me, you know, I appreciate. But and he was like, no, 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 no. I watched you all summer. You're going to be my man. We're going to support you from Frankfurt and uh, no worries. You're going to go back next year and uh, you're going to run the night. How did you feel about that? I was just like, he's crazy. <laughs> How can he give such a, uh, such a position to me without uh, having proven that I really can do that? Because, it's, as I said, he had this long vision and, uh, to establish a night. So there was a big responsibility. And I remember I came then in, in May 2001 and I was just like, I don't know what to do. And, and, um, but uh, I very soon felt very comfortable with the um, support of everyone. And, and, yeah, and then... I mean, how, how did that happen though? Like, what, what was your approach to, to learning what you had to do? Because I mean, if you're coming... In the, it, was, it was learning by doing. There was no formula. There was no book to read. There was no, no, no online workshop uh, how to become a promoter in Ibiza. No, it was just learning by doing. And, uh, and we were just flying. Okay, so how did the second season compare with the first then? Um, I think it was, there was a growth in 2001. But then there was a massive dip in 2002. This was the year where the euro came. And, you know, it was easy to spend pesetas because uh, 1,000, 2,000, whatever. And then we had the euro and everybody had... It became much more expensive, right? It became more expensive, but everybody was also aware, like, okay, what do I get for my euro? And um, 2002 was was a year where we sat together and said, like, hey, listen... uh, we need a different deal with Amnesia, we need a sponsor, and uh, we can't continue losing. I mean, back in the days, n- nobody got a DJ fee. And this was Sven played, of course, for free, and, and the others, they got 500 euros. This was, this was pocket money, yeah. because that, it was just no money in the party. And this changed then after 2002. This was then where we said, like, okay, something has to change. And then, thanks God, in 2003, everything we had the momentum so the audience returned in 2003 so there was a, more, yes. a lot more money coming yes. in was there was yes. there like you, yes. you mentioned there was a different deal with with amnesia was that i mean we had diff- that? We, we had a different deal we got a bit more support from amnesia on the financial side but um there was general in january there was a explosion on the island in terms of like uh, tourism and and back in the days rave tourism yeah, the people that came, they came from all over Europe. They were working in Berlin, London, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then they took a plane and they came to Ibiza on Monday to go DC-10 and then to Cocoon. And this is then how it happened that out of a sudden we had the coolest kids, rave kids from Europe on our dance floor. Okay, I mean, that's um, well, one thing that I was 
I was reading about with regards to the tourist angle was that prior to 2000 the only way of getting here was through charter flights and was the emergence of like the low cost airlines must have been significant then right I think um, because you could only fly in and out certainly from the UK anyway you had to come Saturday to Saturday and the change of that must have been significant Absolutely, yes. This this helped uh, the whole scene on the island, and uh, it gave the people the the opportunity to come in on a on a on a on a Monday, <laughs> thinking they can leave on Tuesday. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but um, yeah, most of them they stayed until like whatever Thursday, and then just to go back and to to work on the weekend in the clubs, and then come back the next Monday. <laughs> Okay. So tell me about how the music went down. It's because uh, you know you've talked about how the night generally went, and that sounds like it followed the kind of general trends on the island. But like, was techno something which fit immediately? I mean, you mentioned like initially you had eighty percent Germans in the club, but like, yeah, tell me about it. It 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 took a bit of time, and uh, uh, over the years, the BPM in the main room got a bit slower, and the BPM on the on the on the on the terrace they they got up a bit to a moment like in 2005 six where it was almost equal where you could hear the same tracks on both sides at, in the same night and um, but in the beginning it was a clear separation main room techno and terrace which was then more a garden and we also I think in the first year we called it chill garden because the sound system was really really bad and um, there was Ricardo Villalobos, Atta, the whole playhouse. The roof family. was already on. The roof was yeah. already on. Yeah, but it was the old DJ booth, the small DJ booth with a with a limiter that everybody hated, and um, it was not really like a party party. It was just more a hang. I mean, yeah, what you've just described there with the music is, I mean, that reflects how techno went in the two thousands, right? We came, went from this <clears throat> uh, kind of nosebleed. Uh, approach at the end of the 90s which we seem to have found our way back to now by the way but that um, yeah. <laughs> that that gave way to minimal and I suppose what I, the, the, the terrace amnesia the terrace cocoon is associated with is that kind of minimal house sound and Ricardo being a, a key part of that absolutely so, yeah. so yeah so tell me about how I mean was that something which then just gen- like made more sense in the general musical landscape of the island that, that development I'm in now, again, it was a music that that was happening in this moment. You know, it's n- not not a music genre that was uh, uh, invented in Ibiza, um, but um, it was the natural procedure coming from labels like Playhouse and, of course, Ricardo Villalobos, and then he brought Luciano, who brought in the South American percussive vibe with it and um, yeah and it became the place where everybody wanted to go and to be part or to experience hey what is this new sound what is the sound that everybody's talking about now and then and then uh, at the end they called it minimal (laughs) and which was sometimes used as a slightly negative term, by the way. I mean, how did you see that? Um, now, maybe, I mean, minimal. Minimal music was always produced, you know, in, in Berlin. Um, 
people from Hardwax, um, Maurizio, and and all the guys, they were they were producing minimal um, in the 90s already. So, but not minimal. <laughs> If I could put it like that. <laughs> but it made sense here. Um, yes, it, it it totally made sense, and uh, and and it worked, and it 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 was. It was the the moment where Ibiza took a significant. It was a turning point because this music became so popular that out of a sudden all the other clubs they wanted to have a night with this music, and this opened the island for many many DJs to come in, but it was also then a question of time when the clubs that the clubs come and uh, made offers to the DJs who were exclusively playing for us and the sound that was once only presented at Cocoon out of a sudden became mainstream so to say in Ibiza because it was available in all the other clubs almost every single night and it diluted the whole thing um, a little bit But I mean that that developed over the course of the 2000s, I guess, right? Yes, yes. This, this, this. this I think the peak of this period, let's call it, was 2008, 9, 10, 11. This was the the minimal explosion on the island, where every DJ who came to the island said, "I'm playing minimal." <laughs> okay, and so you mentioned, yeah. DJs who had previously been exclusive to you moving and establishing their own brands in some cases, their own exclusive brands or semi-exclusive anyway. So did, uh, just before we get into that, like the, the strategy of booking DJs to support Sven in the night, like at what point did you become explicitly involved in that side of it? Because we've, we've been, we're, you know, we jumped to 2010, but you're still an assistant in, in, in the course of this conversation. So like, yeah, okay. tell me about your, your, the evolution of your role. Okay, we, with Cocoon in Frankfurt, we had a booking agency and in the booking agencies, there were artists such as Richie Horton, Marco Carola, Ricardo Villalobos. I would say back in the days, it was one of the leading independent uh, booking agencies in the world for that kind of music. So um, I only had to go from one room to the other and ask, hey, is Richie available that day? Yes, he is. Okay, booking done. Sure, but I mean, for, for it to get to the point where it was your responsibility to do that. Yes, yes. So then... What, which, what, which year did you, did you assume that kind of major yeah, two, role? 2000, 2001, 2002. Straight in, straight in, straight in. But uh, what I wanted to say is that, that not I did the booking. We had a booking agency, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. and and uh, um, yeah, which helped a lot. And were you? Was your? I mean, to what extent did you set the musical strategy then, or and, and to what extent were you just all aligned in the same kind of a way? Were you just all into the same stuff? No, this was always Sven. It was Sven who said like, "Hey, um, I would like to invite this artist, this artist, this artist," because. I mean, still is um, on at the pulse at the time of the time, and um, yeah, it was when the booking agency, and then and it was just like to open the calendar and see who's available and who wants to play with who. Where does it make sense? And then the lineup was done. 
Okay, so just returning to these DJs who who left. I mean, the two that stick out, what well, stuck out in my mind as an observer anyway, were Marco Carola and Richie Horton. I mean, I guess in particular when Marco Carola started music on, that seemed like a big jump. Is, is that, am I right in saying that, or were there other ones who you were thinking of? Yes. Um, Richie, Richie contacted us and said, like, hey, uh, I've been with you for more than 12 years now, and I have an idea, and uh, I would like to present my idea in Ibiza, in, um, but I'm going to a different club, I'm going to, to space, and he, he, he brought uh, Enter, the Enter concept to space, and this was like absolutely fine and gentlemanlike and uh, a handshake, a handshake, and uh, and uh, with Marco was a little bit different because <laughs> he um, he didn't mention it, and we we heard it basically over the press that um, he will start his own night in the same club. In the same club, yes. In that's the same key, club. That's a key detail. And right uh, we were not so happy about that. <laughs> so just to put that in context, Marco had been playing for you exclusively on the island. Yes, up, exclusively. Up for, since since, a, yes. since Ma- the Marco, Marco played for us already in 2000. 2001, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 was more than 10 years. And we were discussing the bookings for the summer, for the upcoming summer. And out of a sudden we heard that, um, that he signed uh, an agreement... So you must have felt quite reasonably that you contributed quite a lot to the building of his profile to the extent that he could then start a night, yes, right? Yes, 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 yes. And it took a while to get over it, <laughs> but all good now. <laughs> okay. I mean, did that present problems for Cocoon? I mean, oper- like, you know, operationally, the first that first year, like, you know, going not head-to-head because it's not, not on the same night, but in the same venue. Because, I mean, the, the music policy wasn't exactly the same, but it was pretty similar right it was pretty similar and uh, it's like when you I mean we had to face the situation that music is now happening everywhere in every club but we still had the kind of exclusivity for this sound in Amnesia so if you want to listen to this kind of music the Monday night was the night so and then there was a second night and um, yeah, of course then the people they choose and yeah, and um, was it problematic, or how problematic was it? Really, looking back on it now, because it must have seemed like a big deal at the time. But was it in hindsight? Looking back, um, there was a point where we continued and he continued, and both nights worked. And uh, and yeah, as I said, this is like a lot of water went under the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> But everyone's cool now. Yeah, everything's cool now. Okay, so the other the other major competition which you faced over time was the emergence of DC10, and obviously with the Monday night being the main night. So how, at what point did that come on the radar for you as a sort of major competitor? There was they were never seen as a competitor because DC10 opened at Monday morning eight o'clock. And it was more an after party for for we love, and um, the terrace they closed they closed the terrace at nine ten p.m. and they only stayed open inside in the club, so it was kind of a pre party for us, yeah, and um, it was 
very, very cool for, especially for the Italians, the guests, um, because they went to DC10, they had a great time there, and then they arrived with big eyes <laughs> <laughs> to our door, and uh, we had a party in the moment, because they were all, you know, ready to go. And um, the thing started to change when when the law changed and DC10 was not allowed to open daytime, they had they were allowed to open the doors like it is to nowadays at, at five. So everything shifted into the night, and um, and then it became a competition, so to say, because the people they had to choose um, either we go DC10 or Cocoon, because. They also then put the headliner later, later, and later. Sorry, at what point was that? Which year? Uh, this, this, this was 2000, I don't know when this started, 17, 18, 19? Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, it's got to have been, yeah, the earlier part of that period, right? Because by, certainly by the end, it must have been, a, I mean, well, yeah, by 2019, DC-10 is, is a very significant thing on, on Monday night, right? Yes, yes. Okay. So... Let's talk about after parties. Yeah. I had uh, some pretty memorable experiences at your after parties, actually. They were extremely fun. But <laughs> <laughs> at what point did those, did those become a key part of what you guys did? Like, was it from the very... I can't remember from the very start, but like, at what point did... Uh, no, it was from the very beginning, because when... When we finished at Amnesia, we were all like pretty motivated to continue somewhere. So we always tried. We always That's tried. That's putting it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were always we were always trying to find a spot somewhere on the island where we where we could put a sound system up. And Sven wanted to keep on playing and. Um, it was then a bit me because I knew the island quite well and I always found like remote places where I just asked and said like, hey, you know, we're a cocoon, we would like to come and do a party here and we bring the sound system, we do the decoration and the shadow. Um, you have the bar, we don't want any money, we just want to come with 100 people and um, we are setting up, we are partying. The only thing you have to do is when the police comes, you have to tell them it's cool. <laughs> and um, and the first ones we did was, um, there was a little beach, it was called Particular in Calayonga, uh, sorry, in Calayondal. There were the first ones, and then we found the place in Calayonga, which is now Amante, and before it was called Soldenserra. And... Um, there we did some after parties and this is where we started with like 100, 150 people and it grew to like 800 and then um, the owner said like it's becoming too big and then uh, I found uh, the Sestanyol beach with um, <coughs> it was called Pecados and uh, Javi who owned it, he was who also liked to party and he was like yeah yeah come so let me ask you, was this just basically a bit of fun for you guys? Yeah, of course. We didn't make any money there. It was not like, okay, we have to do this with a, with a goal to, to become famous. It was just like we wanted to, to, to continue to party. Okay, but it, I mean, it became a big part of the, the culture as well. And I think... Yes, it became so popular that 
people flew in on Tuesday morning only to go to the after party and not to the club. And we were like, yeah, but hey, that's... That's that, not really fair, is it? Is right? it that's not fair. That's cheating, you know? Like, you're fresh and we all come and <laughs> already like, yoo-hoo. But... <clears throat> Yeah, the, the parties at Sestagnoldi became so big that we had 3,500 people on the beach. The cars, they were parked miles, miles, miles away. And the police, they came by boat and, <laughs> and they said, listen, guys, enough is enough. Are you crazy? Um, this is the last time you're doing this, but don't stop the music. Keep on partying. And after sunset, you stop. And let the people go home step by step, slowly, because if you stop the music now and all the people want to leave at the same time, there will be a chaos. And, yeah, this was the last one at Sestagnol. That's a uh, fairly refreshing level of normal... Or, um, I don't know the right word. That's the police doing the right thing for once, right? That's yes, yes, yes. No, it doesn't always happen like that. Yeah, but it's also back in the days, the, the police, they were all from Ibiza and they, they also, they, they knew us and they, they were, sometimes they were outside and we said, yeah, come in, you can see we're, we're not doing anything bad here and there's no entrance, the bars are for free and, and, and they said, no, no, we cannot come in, you know, my little brother's on the dance floor when he sees me in the uniform, <laughs> he's gonna, uh, no, 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 I, I'm, I don't want to be seen. <laughs> so is this, this must have been very significant in the, the general growth of that after-party culture on the islands, right? Yes, I would say we brought the after-hour culture to Ibiza. Uh, but accidentally, apparently. Um, naturally. Right. That's another way of putting it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, how did it... Well, how was the decision taken to finish? Because, I mean, that's kind of where we are now, right? I mean, like, we've got... It was not our decision. It was the decision okay. of, the, of the authorities, of the governments, to really ban daytime music and daytime parties that's why also space can't open or is now it's high but uh, they were not allowed to open at 8am anymore and of course then they were putting extremely high fines to the venues who were hosting those illegal after parties and uh, I think there was once 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 they they, they they confirmed on a law that said if you do an illegal after party it's 60,000 euros so like going back to what we were talking about before about how um, like residents associations have become a little bit more uh, robust in their approach to um, tackling clubs and, and noise restrictions and that kind of stuff I mean I, I read today that Ibiza has the highest house prices in Spain mm -hmm. how much of this is to do with um, what you might be linked to kind of a wider gentrification trend amongst big cities and amongst places that rich people want to live essentially I mean do you think, see those two things as being linked um, you mean to well how much is it just rich people that don't want to hear noise and, and, and I'd be getting more expensive that I think if you if you ask everyone there is i mean every who, who, who's coming to ibiza and says hey i want uh, i want a silent holiday i well that's been a question in my head too but it, clearly there are some of them and and yeah there may be but then it's maybe also the wrong island because because ibiza is 
is known for a hedonistic lifestyle and it's, it's nothing that we invented or that we brought. This is here since, since the 60s, since the tourism started. And the people, they come here because they want to enjoy the beauty of the island, the nature, but also they want to have fun, they want to go out, they want to spend their time in clubs, they, they, they want to have the party of the year. And um, I think it was more to do with the, with the politicians who, when it's time for, you know, we are not allowed to put our vote down when the government gets um, elected. It is more the local people. And the local people are the least party heads. Right. Yeah? And, and of course, if there's one party that says, we're going to ban the after parties and we're going to bring control and we're going to make this island again about, uh, what was the slogan? Um, potatoes and, and, and farming. They, it was really, <laughs> really bizarre. But at the end of the day, at the elections, they won. And then the politicians, they realize, like, hey, if we want to get the, the vote of these local people, you know, we can't blow the trumpet for the clubs. We have, to, we have to pretend to protect the island. Okay, yeah, so as coming out of that too, has there been, well, I mean, there is a perception that there has been a political move to try and encourage kind of higher-end tourism and I, I mean I live in Mallorca and there's a similar sort of thing happening there at the moment they're trying to move away from kind of I guess what might be seen as party tourism but I guess it's more you know just kind of a regular well certainly tourism which is aimed towards younger people right yeah and a move towards this kind of higher end higher value stuff is that is that something that which has affected the the music scene here like substantially no I don't see it like this because it's it's more vibrant and diverse than ever. Yeah. Would you say so? Okay. Yeah, I would say so. I mean, there are there are now parties happening in the in the beautiful new club Akasha, and um, you know we all know the 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 promoters from Wu Moon and uh, the music they came with it. So there is. I think the, the music scene is more vibrant and diverse than ever. How do you see VIP and bottle service and their role in clubs now? I, I approached this with Leslie Tapman yesterday and she gave me a highly unsatisfactory answer about that. But <laughs> how do you see that? And how do you see it like fitting in with the kind of original ethos of bringing techno to Ibiza? I mean... Ibiza was always exclusive and there was always a VIP scene but there was definitely or there is a moment where or there was a moment where it all got a bit out of control where the prices for the tables were going beyond 20,000 euros and it was more important for the clubs to have a full VIP than a full dance floor and then it was like okay which DJ do we have to put to sell tables and not which DJ do we have to invite so that people buying tickets or we have a cool party on the dance floor and um, there are some clubs on the island who, who put this or who um, they took this to an extreme and there were some who were saying like hey um, you know we, we need to find a middle way and um, 
the VIP culture is important because people, they want their exclusivity, they are willing to spend money, but at the end it is also the club who needs to decide how important it is or how to, 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 to value, like, is it only important to have a full VIP or is it you know wh where do we stand yeah it's what the priority is I yes guess, right? so DC, DC 10 they have a VIP area and it's quite expensive to get in there but um, but um, you know I think they have three or four tables in their VIP area but and then there are other clubs where you have the feeling that um, you are just like there to to entertain the VIPs so how did that, I mean, just in the um, example of Cocoon, how did that develop over time? Like, presumably it, become, it became more important. I, I, mean, I think it, generally speaking it has become more important on the island generally. So was that reflected in the party and how you guys did things? No, because there was the moment where all the VIPs back in the days were really like let's say actors, models, successful business people, um, out of a sudden they were all in our VIP. And even Pasha was like, why is Pasha VIP empty on Mondays? <laughs> yeah, because they're all at Cocoon. And why? And yeah, because we, we had the party. That's where people want to go, right? This is where we want to go. And it was not like, okay, now we need to talk to the concierge to give them a commission so that they drag their clients into our club. Um, and um, no, it happened again naturally and um, and back in the days the the table was like maybe 2000 euros and and it was you know it was it's not such a crazy mismatch right i think no. that's that's the problem that people have with it right when it's like you know 50 60000 euros right? it just seems ridiculous yes 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 and 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 with this let's say 50 50 tables that amnesia had with, with 2,000 euros, it's, make your calculation. Uh, nowadays, it's, it's, the clubs, they make this money with two tables. And um, uh, of course, it's tempting to say like, hey, if it's that easy, more tables. <laughs> I mean, do you see that as having been a, like a negative trend generally? Nayam, if, if there is this movement, you can choose to say, as a guest, no, I don't want to be part of this. And and I always see when one thing is going into extremely into one direction, there's always a little way to go the other direction. And there's always a reaction. There's always a reaction, and I think at the end, it's the the people who decide. Okay, so uh, running out of time a little bit. Last few things. I mean, I want to talk to you about how Cocoon ended ultimately, because I mean, I mean, there's also I've heard all sorts of stories about it, but maybe you can give us your side or your um, description of it. Yeah, we had um, 18 years in Amnesia, and um, then we got a, a very interesting offer from Pasha to to move, and. Uh, we we took the chance, but very soon we realized that it's it's not kind of like it's not taking the direction. I mean, it's a completely different club, right? It's a completely different. Vibe. Yeah, but the club was going under a huge reform, and the Pasha people contacted us with, uh, and they said, "Listen, we want to take, we want to change how the club is received. We wanna we wanna change the direction. We wanna go away from this 
VIP Table Club. We want to go more underground, and we want Cocoon to be to be our leading party in this in this shift. And they presented us plans how they want to change the setup of the club and the VIP, and 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 they asked us what we think, and then Sven said like, no, do it like this and like this, and they said, yeah, you're right, we are gonna, we, we are gonna do it like this, and we felt like, hey, wow, they're listening, they're kind of like building the club in our favor or reconstructing the club in our favor. Now, two months later, when when I came back for the first visit. I, I saw that all the plans that we agreed on, they were not fulfilled. It went completely in the other direction. And we said, yeah, but this is not what we were talking about. I said, like, yeah, but with the setup that you wanted, we would have lost 200,000 euros on VIP tables. Right. There you go. And then we're like, ah, so um, what does it mean? I said, like, yeah, this is how the club will be. So we started completely on the wrong foot. And it was then very soon in the season where we didn't feel comfortable, they didn't feel comfortable, it just was not right. And then we said, okay, after the season, we're going to go separate ways again. But we had the 20 years cocoon season in front of us. And then we said, like, okay, inst instead of like committing to do the 20 years season in one club, we decided to celebrate the 20 years of cocoon in Ibiza. So we did 10 parties in Amnesia. We did uh, two amazing shows at Ushuaia with Kraftwerk and Underworld. And um, we had a party at Underground. We had two parties at uh, Benimusa Park. So we were, we were celebrating our 20 years on the island and not in, in one club. So this was, yeah, was the, the way how we did. But you knew that it was the end? At yes. That stage? yes. Yes. And how did you feel about that personally? Um, well, it was you know 20 years. This is um, was a, a, a huge a huge step. It was um, was a decision that needed time to um, you know to to be realized that what what change it really brings also for me with my life. And um, but uh, yeah, as it is so often looking back, it was absolutely the right decision. No regrets. No regrets. No, we had 20 amazing years. We ended on a high. Yeah, we had um, <laughs> the last the last night at Amnesia. I will never forget. We had seven thousand people, Sven and Peggy Goo, and uh, it was it was. Absolutely. I mean, the energy in the room was like the people that didn't know that it's gonna be the last one. This was something that we just that we kept internal and uh, in amongst us. But this was a, a big way to 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 end an era. And then we had an after party at uh, Benny Musa Park that also went on for I think another 20 hours. Okay. And um, then it was time to say goodbye. <laughs> okay, amazing. Yeah, so last question. Does Ibiza still have the same magic that it had when you first came over as a kid and looked at the people going into space? Is it still here? 100%. 100%. Can you define what it is, maybe? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but but it is it is like this every time when I go away I come it's now my home yeah, we found a beautiful place I'm, I'm 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 here since 23 years now and it is still you 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 come back and you you feel this magic and uh, especially when you are when you're here in the winter and you have the time to to explore the island and to to go on in nature and hikes and and meet like-minded people and i mean it is a mystical special place like nowhere else in the world and it still attracts people from all over the world to come and to make a living here and to 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 bring something as well as consume of course but um, it's we just had friends over and we we used we used the word magic quite often <laughs> okay well this has been awesome johannes thank you so much ladies and gentlemen johannes goller thank you very much been a pleasure thank you yeah, that was Johannes Goller. And yeah, we got some great stories there, didn't we? He's uh, got so much experience running parties in Ibiza, like almost unmatched, I think. You know, just 20 years of just heads down, banger after banger, banging night after banging night. And like I said, those cocoon parties really were incredible. I'm really lucky to have been able to play at a few of them and gone to a few of the after parties too. That's some of my favourite partying memories ever were at Cocoon After Parties. Just so much fun. So much fun. But like I said, all very wholesome. All above board, just about. Anyway, thanks to Johannes for being involved with this and thanks to DJ Pippi and thanks to Leslie Tapman too. This has been part three of our IMS special. And um, yeah, I guess we're going back next year, I think. Do another three or something like that. But there'll be, I think, some live stuff before then too but going forward we are back on a regular schedule so back next tuesday will be a regular podcast so a little bit longer a little bit better sound quality and a little bit of a different vibe i mean the live ones are fun but you know longer format is uh that's that's my favorite anyway a bit less nerve-wracking as well to be honest anyway as i mentioned at the front you can support us on patreon patreon.com scuba official if you don't want to do that, then that's cool. Leave us a review or a rating. That really does help too. Please do that. And join us in the Discord if you've got anything to say about the show. Thanks for listening. This has been Not A Diving Podcast live at IMS. Over and out. And I'll see you same time, same place next week for the next episode of the Not A Diving Podcast. Thank you. Let's go, cool, wow.